Drinking buddy Ellery, what are you Woo! drinking and thinking about today? I've got a can of gin. Well, there's tonic in there, but there's also gin. Gin and tonic in a can. Um, <laughs> because this is a thing that we have done together. Uh, we've sat on a bus once and drunk a can of gin and tonic. So, if I ever feel the need to have a drink on the go, it's a can of gin and tonic. So it would be ideal if we were doing a pub crawl and needed a little cheeky beverage in between pubs. Should we feel we're not drinking enough already? I see. I'd like to talk about pub crawls, yeah. <laughs> 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 <Tenny> Any dropped. <laughs> we got there. <laughs> pub crawling. I was pub I was, crawling with my cans of gin. I was just thinking, oh, wait, you think you've done tenuous, wait. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I was... Throughout that, I was just thinking, how am I going to respond to people picturing us just drinking cans of gin and tonic on a bus, like a couple of London-based hobos? Um, I don't think people have to use their brains that much. I think it's it's, it's us, isn't it? There is no comeback to it, really, is there? (laughs) I'm not sure whether this was pre or post a ban on drinking on TFL. So uh, we might find... Actually, I think it was post. <laughs> I've got the date in oh, here somewhere for a related fact. It definitely fact. was. It definitely was. <laughs> so if anyone from TFL is listening, we are, of course, joking. <laughs> <laughs> um, all right, so here's for tenuous drinks related to pub crawl. I've got two beers. I was like, well, I can't just have one drink. It's a crawl, so I have to have two. So I've got two yeah. cans of beer. And they're the two contrasting approaches to going on a pub crawl. One okay. is called Easy Now, <laughs> <laughs> which is a New England IPA from a bad co-brewing distilling company. And the other one is called 24-7 <laughs> nice. from Rooster's Brewing Co., which is a session IPA. So I thought, well, 24-7 or Easy Now, it's going to be one of those two approaches. There's probably no middle ground. I'm definitely 24-7. Yeah, I wasn't going to besmirch you so soon into the podcast, but I've done it enough times for it not to matter anymore. I think. (laughs) I think the assumptions there. You don't. You don't even need to say it anymore. (laughs) So, um, with this subject, I, as ever, kind of was enthusiastic about delving into some history books, racking my brains for sort of literature references and all that. This kind of stuff to kind of you know bring bring some social history to the subject of the pub crawl so it wasn't just all I went on this pub crawl and people got really drunk (laughs) however it's been really hard (laughs) (laughs) I found it very difficult to find a lot of historical evidence for the pub crawl which is pushing me towards feeling that it is a much more recent phenomena Mm -hmm. um that is really, you know, has, has come about with um, urbanisation, obviously, not going to, you know, do it in your village pubs. Uh, well, possibly will now. But 
it's I haven't managed to find many references to it. I've got maybe two pieces of history to throw into the mix. So I thought I'd okay. start with where the term pub crawl probably comes from. And then I'll okay. finish with the only example uh, of a recorded pub crawl I could find that's prior to um, to prior to this reference of pub crawl existing. And then okay, in between, we can um, share our experiences of pub crawls. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. Okay. <laughs> so um, here's where I think the term comes from. Uh, in 1909, uh, there was a lot of political fighting between the Conservative Party and the Liberal Party. And uh, the kind of big issue of the day coming up to the election was around free trade. So the Conservatives were saying, you know, we need to lean into our own British produce and uh, not go for foreign imports and all that sort of stuff. And, you know, be British. And the Liberals were in favour of free trade and, you know, making more connections with other countries, importing, exporting, all that sorts of business. So um, David Lloyd George was, um, you know, at the sort of helm at the time. And in addition to the free trade stuff, they were also trying to put higher taxes on, um, you know, uh, on businesses and wealthy people so that they could pay for more kind of welfare support and, you know, more infrastructure for the working classes and stuff. Nothing really changes that much <laughs> in terms of, you know, political approaches. But here's where this becomes relevant. So um, this is a, a letter that was written to Cambridge Independent Press from a local person. Uh, I'll read you what it says. I think it was in Salisbury that a similar mission was started some little time ago when it had the benediction of the standard. Willing workers were sent out every night to go from public house to public house and there turn the conversation into a political vein and thus get the patrons of the place to imbibe Tory principles with their beer. I am not aware as to whether the system has succeeded in the city in which it was tried, but evidently its value is recognised by Major Stanley of Cambridge. I am rather surprised, however, to find that these peripatetic philosophers should describe their proceedings by so uninspiring a phrase as pub crawling. Assuming that they sally forth to advocate imperialism, true religion, national defence and other great topics of that sort to the thirsty denizens of the pig and whistle, such a mission might surely be given a better title than the one I have mentioned. At the same time, I suppose that they do crawl from pub to pub, crawl from pub to pub, if I may use their own somewhat contemptuous abbreviation. Some men would find such duties arduous and irksome, but tastes differ and I doubt not among the members of the new Carlton Club, there are some who can make such a duty a delight. And in addition to satisfying an honest thirst for information and for other things, the pub crawler has the inspiring consciousness that he is helping the cause. That knowledge, together with the beer, must be peculiarly soothing. Pub crawling is very popular both in West and East Cambridgeshire. What do the country clergy think of it? So it seems pretty convincing, I think, that this is the first time people are really hearing about pub crawling as a notion from that extended letter. And I love the way how even if you weren't told that was a letter, you can tell from the tone of voice of the person yeah. saying, dear so-and-so, you know, they've got like, it's just such a tone liked, of voice to a letter. I really liked the uh, low-key shade of peripatetic philosophers. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. 
so that's one kind of uh, case citing it. But we have not one, but two from the same year, a few months later, uh, which is also calling attention to this new term. And the conservative newspapers bring this up and they say that it's a derogatory term that's being used by the Budget League. So these are the people who are in favour of the Liberal budget to kind of tax the wealthy. Um, And they say, the Conservatives say that they're putting out these leaflets and they're doing it because um, they're scared, essentially, it says. (laughs) So it's titled Pub Crawlers. The Budget League appears to be rather tired of its uphill task of trying to popularise the budget, so it is turning for a while to the popular radical socialist weapon of abuse. This is a sample of its latest leaflet, which is creating amusement among those who receive it and see that the red flag waggers are losing their tempers as well as losing the fight. And the leaflet, supposed leaflet, says, Warning! Hired men are being sent out to haunt the street corners and the public houses and catch you in your homes. They pretend to be independent, non-political gentlemen, grieved by the sad results of free trade. Sometimes they pretend that they are unfortunate victims out of work through free trade. The Tariff Reform League seems proud of these men it calls missionaries. Others, more truly, call them pub crawlers. Beware of pub crawlers. (laughs) (laughs) So, I love the way that clearly the, the Conservatives have sponsored people to go and essentially do guerrilla word-by-word marketing around all the pubs <laughs> the in response the uh, the liberals or, or the the um budget league are putting out these leaflets saying people are doing this by the way and the anti-budget league or the tariff reform league or the conservatives are then saying back oh look they're they're scared because they're uh, putting these uh, these leaflets out but i'm pretty convinced that's where pub crawling comes from is this idea of the propagandists going from pub to pub spreading Mm -hmm. that particular form of news and that reminded me of when we did the coffee house episode and do you remember that they used to have news runners that went from coffee house to coffee house saying here's the latest news and then i hypothesized that one of the reasons for their decline was that the when the coffee houses became um, news printers in their own right they had a particular political agenda and then they became more tribalistic so it wasn't as kind of diverse and open and inclusive and interesting as it used to be instead it was like these different factions i think this is the evolution of that yeah it was sounds about right doesn't it yep so that's i mean that's it though that's all i've got for the um origin of pub crawl at least as we know it, as a pub crawl. Um, (laughs) Clearly, this must have evolved, I think, through the students, because if you look, it came out, um, came about in Cambridge, for example, and we know that the coffee houses started in Cambridge, and it started because the students liked to go and, you know, learn there and talk politics and talk science and all this sort of stuff. So I think this this term pub crawling that the students in Cambridge were witnessing of people going from pub to pub, I feel like they were maybe satirising it or something when they decided to just start going pub to pub for drinks. Yeah. And that's my it's theory of where crawl, it... crawl, but yeah. That's, that's my theory that's where it comes from. That's definitely a student yeah. thing to do, yeah. Yeah, so I, th- I think it, <laughs> it, 
It got shared among students, amongst universities, going from pub to pub in the cities, imitating this kind of propagandist method. And then obviously it's evolved into the popular pub crawl as we would know it. That's not to say people never went from pub to pub before that time, but there actually isn't that much evidence that I can get a hold of that says that was a common practice that had any kind of name. So I'm positing Mm -hmm. that as our origin story. I'll take it. I'll allow it. <laughs> mm. Thanks. <laughs> All right, on to, uh, on to real pub crawls. Over to you. Yes. Well, I'm going to kick it off with a typo. <laughs> <laughs> Great. <laughs> so when researching this, I typed pug crawl instead of pub crawl into Google. Great. And found out that a pug crawl in Portland, Oregon, is a massive thing. Um... So every year they have so it's um it's a charity like an animal welfare charity over there. Every year they have multiple events um just to raise money for themselves. So they have a doggy dash. Um one of interest that I found that they do is canines uncorked, which is a dog friendly wine tour. Um but the pug crawl is one of their main events and it's an enormous pug parade where they'll have a theme every year where pugs can enter by themselves or in groups or in pairs, but they have to kind of adhere to the fancy dress theme and they'll have floats or whatever they need for the pub pug parade. And then that all ends up in a an almighty festival with food and beer and everyone having a lovely time. Um, the pugs have two categories that they're judged on. Um, it'll either be their dress, so fancy dress, best dressed wins the prize. And there's also a prize for pugletic prowess. So any kind of skills. Some of the examples they gave were freestyle frolicking and rhythmic snoring. <laughs> I mean, I can hear rhythmic snoring going on right now. Um, there is always rhythmic so snoring in the background in my house. Yeah, <laughs> your doggies are in with a chance. I like, uh, what was it, freestyle frolicking? Freestyle frolicking, yeah. Mm, I like the sound of that one. Um, so yeah, there's always a theme in 2020, which is the first the first virtual version of the the pug crawl. The theme was Pugtoberfest. Uh, so yeah, lots of dogs in lederhosen and whatnot. <laughs> pug pugs dressed as sausages. Um, but yeah, that was number one pug crawl. Nice. I mean, you get drunk at the end, so it's kind of relevant <laughs> <laughs> i mean i'll allow it on the basis that it's just a pun <laughs> <laughs> okay next i thought i definitely had to do some london pub crawls and the most famous one i think has to be the monopoly crawl yes which of course is 22 locations or if you're including the stations 26 Ooh-hoo. which you know is Far too many (laughs) for for any crawl. I don't think you could be expected to even have a half uh, at every place. So, you know, maybe the stations are where you have water and a snack. Who knows? Um, But, of course, traditionally, you would start at Old Kent Road. And then the end is Mayfair. Mm, Gets increasingly more expensive. (laughs) Well, that's one thing. It could potentially get uh, more expensive. No, I mean, there are you know, similar pubs in, in every location. The, more to the point, um, it's a lot more travel 
<laughs> to do it in order of the Monopoly board because yeah. it isn't ordered in a very sensible way. You go, you have to travel a lot further going back and forth um, between locations, especially when you include something like Fenchurch Station or going up and down past King's Cross a couple of times. So most people, I think, find it a bit impractical to do it in Monopoly board order. And instead, it's quite fun to arrange your own routes uh, as long as you tick off each one as you go along. But there are more sensible suggestions to be had. I think about... Have you ever done it? Or no. variation? No. No, I have never done it. Um, I think part of the reason it doesn't appeal so much to me is... I like a crawl you can walk or you can crawl. Um, yeah. I'm not one for getting transport between pubs. Mm-hmm. Do you know, I remember when um, when we first met in the early days of, uh, of Microsoft and you were at Sayuni, <laughs> um, <laughs> you would regularly say, oh, let's go to this pub now. And it was a tube ride away. And I always just be like, nah. <laughs> I'm not I'm not getting on the tube to go to a pub. <laughs> there are many yeah. options nearby. I said it's not for me. <laughs> I avoid I the tube at all, all costs if I can. Yeah, um, I used to travel. I think because I went to uni that was in zone five. Mm-hmm. Getting on the train to and from pubs and stuff wasn't really an eye opener. <laughs> <laughs> Exactly. So my, my favourite crawls, I think, are always ones that you can go on by foot. Um, with a couple of exceptions, we'll get to it. But anyway, um, I think about maybe 90% of the locations on the Monopoly board are just in the West End. So you can get most of it done within, you know, like yeah. more or less a square mile. <laughs> it's things like having Old Kent Road being the only bo- uh, square on the Monopoly board that's in South London which makes things a little more awkward. So, of course, it makes sense to start there because you are miles from the next place, <laughs> wherever that is going to, <laughs> which is my nearest one. Um, so, there are two squares on the Monopoly board that technically don't exist. One is Bond Street, because that should really be New Bond Street or Old Bond Street. There is no Bond Street on its own. Yeah. And the other is Marlborough Street, which is Great Marlborough Street in reality. So a couple of places that don't quite exist, but I mean, I think it's obvious where you're supposed to go. There's mm-hmm. only one square on the board, which is a pub. Can you think of it off the top of your head? Uh, Regent Street? It's the Angel Islington. Ah. Uh. So the... It's, an, it's a famous old coaching inn. So the Angel Inn was constructed in 1614 and the crossroads where it was situated became then known as the angel and the tube that was built there in 1901 was then just called angel and in 1903 two years later jay lyons of lyons tea opened a hotel on that site where the angel inn was and he called it the angel hotel and then it was 30 or so years after that, 1935, that uh, Angel Islington got added to the London Monopoly Board. And then that building was renovated and reopened in 1982 as the Angel Corner House, which is now a co-op on the ground level and offices above. (laughs) But Angel as a pub did reappear in 1998, and it's just next to 
where the original Angel Inn was. It's next next to the co-op, and it's called the Angel, and it's now a Weatherspoons pub. Oh, sad. I'd rather <laughs> it not be a pub. <laughs> Slight, slightly anticlimactic, but at least there's history, pub history there, oh, you know. Oh, I've been there. I've, yeah, I've definitely been there to the Angel Weatherspoons in Angel. Yeah, of course. And oh. it is possible to walk. 2.6 kilometers from St. James's Palace to Ludgate Circus without leaving the Monopoly board. Um, so there you go. Those are a few facts to kind of like keep you going. If you're doing the Monopoly crawl, you can be like, ah, I know this thing. <laughs> Until your brain obviously melts from having 26 bites. Well, I think we discovered last week that my brain does not really hold on to those things. <laughs> <laughs> Over to you. Can I go now? Um, I would like to talk about the seven-legged pub crawl. Have you heard of it? Um, I have. Yes, good. What do you know? What do you know? Tell me what you know. So this is like a three-legged race, except mm-hmm. there's six of you. Yeah. All in a line. And then I mm-hmm. think the seventh person is is like the... um. Well, it's like the servant for the evening. They have to go and get all the drinks in. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> correct. So it is um, famously held in Nottingham at the end of October every year. And the legend says that the guy who donated the land to the city, his name was Sir Jesse Boot. He donated the land to the city and that land then became Nottingham Uni. Uh, so he donated it back in 1921, so it was 100 years ago. And he donated it uh, with a caveat that he wanted the students to forfeit their studies once a year to partake in frivolous fun. Hmm. Um, and so they were being true to his word, the seven-legged pub crawl was born 100 years ago to the date. Um, so hopefully... If COVID allows, they'll have a big old party at the end of October because it is really popular. They've had as many as 6,000 people take part in the past. Um, Which, when I first read that, I thought 6,000 people doing a pub crawl is insane. But Mm. then I remembered a fact that I'd been told a few years ago. I don't know if it's still true, but apparently Nottingham is like the most pub-dense place in the UK. It has the most pubs per square mile. That's what I've been told. I hear this about different cities all the time, so I'm not quite sure what the latest is. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it could very well be. There are a lot of pubs, pubs, very nice pubs as well in Nottingham. Mm-hmm. I'm sure they wouldn't be... Um, I'm sure they could accommodate 6,000 people. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, 6,000 people. And as you said, they're... They're in teams. They're all in matching fancy dress. Um, six of them are tied together, and the seventh is tasked with dashing to the bar for their team. Um, it's mainly students who take part, um, but anyone is welcome. And it's become so popular now that they also encourage that teams uh, raise money for charity. Mm-hmm. So they're getting drunk and doing good. What more could you want? <laughs> That's I would totally, <laughs> I would totally go dressed, uh, dressed up my team as the caterpillar from Alice in Wonderland. Oh, I thought you were going to go into the whole calling the caterpillar politics then. No, no I'd, no, no. I would 
find multiple teams of seven and dress us all as the different caterpillars from the different supermarkets. <laughs> would, would that just be covering yourself in chocolate? Mm, yes. Like just naked chocolate body paint over everyone. <laughs> God, I'm already getting like um, human centipede vibes, so maybe not. <laughs> oh. No, no one needed to mention that today. <laughs> With the Alice in Wonderland, I was just thinking I wanted to be at the head of it, so every time I turn up to a new pub, I can just enter and go, Who are you? you. You'd be you'd reason. have to carry around some shisha, though, which would be a pain in the ass. No, I'll get my servant to do it. <laughs> That's the point of the seventh person. And we'd, all have, we'd all have those little gold slippers on. <laughs> are they dressed as Alice, the seventh? Oh, yes. Absolutely. <laughs> Okay. I think a... out of all my caterpillars, the seventh person would basically be like the legal representative that's going to be taking on M and S. Just someone <laughs> wheeling around loads of legal documents. Yeah, just sweating <laughs> a lot in a suit, looking stressed. <laughs> I like it. All right, the next one I got for you is the circle line. I feel like this is probably second only oh. to Monopoly in terms of famous London pub crawls. Traditionally, that involves 27 stops. So one more than the Monopoly board. Although there are technically more stops on the circle line since 2009, because it's no longer a circle, it's kind of like a snail. (laughs) It's like a bit of a spiral. (laughs) But I think for our purposes, we don't count that bit because you still want to be able to go around in a circle and come back to where you started. Mm -hmm. It seems that most people like to start in Victoria... I guess that's because of the Overground Station it being a common meeting place and then go anti-clockwise and finish in Sloan Square. Mm-hmm. To which I say, is Sloan Square the place that you want to end up being a bit tipsy? And I no. would say no. Absolutely <laughs> not. Having worked in Sloan Square <laughs> before for <laughs> a year or so, I would not recommend it. Um, anyway, so that's, that's the way they tend to go around. The day before TfL brought in the drinking ban, as I said, uh, mm-hmm. which was in 2008, they held a huge party yes, on the Circle Line. So thousands that. of people attended. 17 <laughs> people were arrested. Um, <laughs> but yeah, they had a big old boozy time on the Circle Line. I remember, said, you remember that. it. Yeah, I wanted to go, but I didn't. <laughs> I'm surprised you weren't now. I thought that's what you were going to tell me. No, <laughs> I, I was going to. No, but then I thought, that's not going to be fun, I don't think. <laughs> <laughs> the idea uh, is cool, but the execution's going to suck. So, I mean, I, I, I wouldn't want to do it. I'm so sweaty. <laughs> uh, <laughs> right, so a few kind of facts for you to remember on your way around the circle line crawl. Mm-hmm. If you're going to have a toast at any point... I recommend the Barbican, where you can toast pebbles. There is a small plaque that was put up in 1997 in loving memory of Pebbles, which was the station cat who uh, used to live there. So I think toast the memory of Pebbles at Barbican is a nice thing to do. That's sweet. Uh, Euston Square fact. That was the place where the very first piece of work on the underground uh, or any underground railway on the planet took place. It was in 1860 and uh, it was where they uh, 
sunk their first shaft. <laughs> Here's a popular pub quiz question. <laughs> uh, mansion house. That is the answer. Oh. What is the question? Where is the place on the tube map that nobody ever remembers exists? <laughs> it's part of the reason why it's a good question. No, it's which tube uh, station has all five vowels in its name? Uh, yeah, good question. Encounter that one a lot of pub quizzes. Good to remember. Uh, and I'll give you one for the, the finale. If you, if you do the suggestion, you end up at Sloane Square. If you're standing on the station platform and you look up, there's this big sort of black pipe that runs over the tracks over your head mm-hmm. and that is actually the river westbourne it oh. goes through the station un- under um, ground level but above your head on the platform so it has its mm-hmm. own little bridge suspended over the main platform there's lots of underground rivers that have been redirected in london that's where you can actually see one i thought it was the big tube that had been installed to get the made in chelsea cast out of Sloan Square quickly and over to Essex for their Towie cameos. Like in, like in Futurama? As, yeah, just get me to Essex and back as quickly as possible and I want to stay clean. <laughs> <laughs> that could also be a possibility. Perhaps that's what the river is now used for. Yeah. Express carry tubes. <laughs> All right, that's, that's me done for the circle line. I could tell you about underground facts forever, but let's not. Okay. Um... We are going out to the UK again. We're going over to Asia. Laos, to be precise. Um, because there is probably one of the most dangerous pub crawls in the world on offer in Laos. And it's the tubing pub crawl in Vang Vieng. Uh, so tubing being essentially like a, a giant rubber ring. Um, you go along the Mekong River in a giant rubber ring and it just sounds extremely dangerous. <laughs> I mean, it's dangerous if you're sober because I've done like white water rafting and stuff in Asia and that was scary. Um, but yeah, imagine that with booze. That's enough. But um, basically they have bars lining like all the riverbanks there. So they try and make it that there's kind of no walking at all. You just very much either in your rubber ring or you're in a bar. Um, and they've basically, from what I've can, from what i read, they've like engineered the whole riverbank area to just be tube friendly. Um, so if perhaps there's a section of water where it's not kind of moving all that much and you might get a bit stuck, they've installed like um, rope swings and stuff so you can pull yourselves through. And I think it's to stop people walking and realizing how drunk they are. <laughs> Um, but it sounds like a very, very messy uh, kind of bar crawl. Um, all the bars are geared for heavy drinking. They'll have music and games and keg stands and beer pong and shots and all sorts of stuff going on. It's not just a have a half in each. It's let's go over the top in each. But unfortunately, there have been some fatalities um, <laughs> i was just about to ask you how yes. many people have drowned um i didn't really want to dig into that all that much because i thought well, this is a bit dark but um i think i was reading a blog post from a traveler who had done the pub crawl in 2018 and that year they'd had two um 
And I think the operative word was that year. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. And I'll stop there. <laughs> wow, thanks for that one. Uh, <laughs> we are really are going on uh, an emotional roller coaster or tube ride, aren't we, with uh, this subject. All right, next I'm going to tell you about one very close to my heart and my home, Bermondsey Beer Mile. Oh, yes. Had to talk about this one. So the Bermondsey Beer Mile is just over a mile, stretching more or less from my home, <laughs> from... Uh, where do we call this, Maltby Street Market, um, down to Fort Pure, which is near Bermondsey South Railway Station. Uh, there is some historical reason why there are so many breweries around this area. So the, the dock workers, uh, for example, like we're obviously near the Thames and all the big warehouses that used to import tea and coffee and spices and all that sort of stuff. But those same workers in the summer would go out to Kent and do the hop picking and then that would all be transported along the old Kent Road, Monopoly throwback, um, and be brought to the Hop Exchange, which is obviously where, you know, the breweries would then come and buy their hops and, you know, be, be sold and all that sort of stuff. The Hop Exchange is at Borough Market, so London Bridge area. It's actually a really beautiful building. It's one of the most beautiful buildings around that area. The um, iron gates are all wrought with hops and it's just very pretty. Um so this area was sort of like the one of the, probably the last stop between um, the the Kentish hop pickers and then going to the hop exchange. So there is uh, there is precedence in the area. In fact, Chad Thames, where we um, it's just across the road. It's like the um, the warehouse area is called Horsley Down even now, mm-hmm. and that's a contraction of Horse Lay Down because it was the last stop for the horses before they went into London. Mm-hmm. Nice. Um, so that's the history of the Bermondsey Beer Mile. Today, there are an ever-changing number and name of breweries plus um, in this environment. At my current count, I make it 14 breweries, one cidery and two gin distillers. Although I may have missed some because as I say, it keeps changing. My recommendation seems to be the opposite of most of the ones I've seen online. They they seem to say, oh, start at Maltby Street Market and get your breakfast and then go out to Fort Pure. Um, <laughs> mine is the other way around, partly because I like to end with food, but also, <laughs> um, also obviously, it's coming back to my house rather than away from it, which is just sensible. Yeah. So the route I have down, if you just do the beers, is uh, Fort Pure, Partisan, Ebria, Spartan, the Colonel, Bianca Road, Brew by Numbers, Cloudwater, London Calling Sweden, More Beer, and Back and Hob Day, Hiver and All Good Beer, The Barrel Project, and then Southwark Brewing. And should you fancy a change, you've got Hawk Cider, Jensen Gin, and Little Bird Gin as well. Been to a lot of those with you. Yes, you have. And there's a lot of, <laughs> lot of well-known names there as well. So some breweries, it might not be their main brewery but they will have an outlet here because obviously the whole point of having a beer mile is that people go up and down and sample different things so you know cloud water is um uh, is northern it's not kind of london based more beer is bristol etc but um it's very popular at the weekends many of those particularly saturday many of those open at other 
time other days and other times as well so if you live near it it's best to figure out when the quiet times are and then you can go and have a chat and do all the sampling because if you go on saturday there is every chance you will bump into an organized pub crawl and then it's not quite so fun (laughs) (laughs) yeah it's busy down there now but yeah but end end at maltby street market and get your food there would be my recommendation also the ones down here are open later than four pure four pure closes at 8 p.m whereas the ones here close at 11 (laughs) in the know is our tim in the know you should do your own little pub crawl around there there's already quite a few, and to be honest, I don't think I could cope with the people. <laughs> <laughs> I'd want to sit them down and tell them about how the old Kent Road was the pathway for hot pickers, and they wouldn't care. <laughs> They'd be like, right, how much are the Eagle Bombs? <laughs> <laughs> Back to you. Back to me. Um, I've got a bit of a weird one coming up. Um, Back to America. St. Augustine in Florida, they offer a pub crawl in a hearse. I know you're not a big fan of travelling between pubs, you like to do it on foot, but how would you feel about doing it in a hearse? Fabulous, you can lie down, there's plenty of room. Well, that depends, because they do offer it for up to eight people, and it is apparently, according to reviews, a bit of a squeeze, eight of you in there. But I guess if we went, the two of us, yeah, we could just lie down in the back and probably be really inappropriate. Um, but I'm not, I'm not the... quite sure how to take that. <laughs> <laughs> don't, don't want to be. I'm not with each other. <laughs> yeah. I want the full floral arrangement, by the way. <laughs> I'd get you a Tim made up in flowers. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> Maybe that's an added extra, and if it's not, we should suggest it to them. <laughs> I'm um, on your side I'm going to have do not touch written incarnations <laughs> chin it <laughs> she chinned it she chinned it too much <laughs> <laughs> back to the hearse <laughs> um, so it's kind of like um, it's like a ghost tour storytelling tour <laughs> said tour a lot it's kind of like a haunted ghost tour slash pub crawl in one because um, you only really visit three pubs. All are claimed to be haunted. Mm-hmm. Uh, but on top of the pubs, you also um, visit a couple of hot spots such as the grounds of a 17th century Spanish fort, etc., etc. So um, the kind of tour guide driver, he'll kind of be really in the know with regards to these areas as well. So he'll just drive you around, shit you up a bit, tell you some stories. Um, But you can bring your own booze. So because you only go to three pubs, they've made it quite clear on the website that is is encouraged that you bring your own to have in the hearse. Um, So I'd like to do that, please. Mm. Okay, I like anything spooky. It sounds like Mm -hmm. a good thing to do for Halloween. I'm in. Yep, yep, yep. (laughs) Um, okay, so as I say, I like pub crawls on foot, Bermondsey Beer Mile being a classic example because it's right on my doorstep, but the one I think I enjoy the most in London, which I do do by foot, but it takes much longer <laughs> than the, the mile down Bermondsey, is the Regent's Canal. Mm-hmm. I love walking along the Regent's Canal when the weather is nice, so um, I naturally turned it into a bit of an informal pub crawl along the way. 
So the Regent's Canal, it links the Thames to the Grand Union Canal. So if you really wanted to, you could carry on all the way up to Birmingham, you bastards. <laughs> uh, <laughs> the the railway from King's Cross Station is a little kind of monopoly-based fact as well. It actually goes under the canal, and then the railway at Euston Station goes over the canal. <laughs> it's a very ingeniously constructed thing, the canals and the railways, and how it zigzags <laughs> in between, which you discover as you walk it. Because you're never quite sure whether you're over something or under something. And it's all the snakes around. It's great. Story of your life. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So the walk I do, I start in Limehouse. um, Mm -hmm. And then kind of walk north up towards Camden from there. I think a good place to start is the Narrow. Which is Gordon Ramsay's pub. Which I don't recommend because it's Gordon Ramsay's pub. It's just that it's right on... The mouth of Limehouse Docks and the river, so you get be- you can sit outside and get beautiful views there, all of Canary Wharf and back to London Bridge and stuff. Um, or alternatively, if you don't like Gordon Ramsay and you prefer Ian McKellen, you can go to the Grapes, uh, which is his pub in Limehouse. <laughs> then you just you walk up the canal. This is why it's such a great pub crawl. You can't really get lost. <laughs> you just follow it all the way up. And also, the Regent's Canal has so much wildlife. If you kind of take your time and you look around, you can see all sorts of like lovely waterfowl and all kinds of things. There's lots of interesting nature around there. My next stop is usually when I get to Myland, um, uh, Myland sort of Victoria Park area, and I stop at the Crown, which again has outside space, so you can look out over the park. Then carry on and go around to the towpath, which is near when you get to Shoreditch sort of area, and that's an, that's a cafe right on the canal side. I've had coffee and breakfast there before. So if you need uh, a break from the booze and you want to have a coffee instead, that's a good one. Nope. Then <laughs> don't roll your eyes at me. I'm just giving options. <laughs> <laughs> uh, then on to towards Angel. And I like the narrow boat there. Not to be confused with earlier, the narrow. The narrow boat, again, is right on the canal side, but it's on two levels. So you've got a street level and then a canal side level has outside uh, seating and actually if walking's not your thing you can regularly spot there the hot tug which is <laughs> a boat that chugs up and down the canal that has a hot tub in it and a bar so you're yes. sitting there in the narrow boat having having a drink and then all of a sudden there's these larry students going past in a hot tub and bikinis and chugging prosecco Right I'm going to make you do that with me one day. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so on from there. Unfortunately, the bad thing about the Regent's Canal Walk is you have to leave it at Angel uh, and go above ground and cross over through kind of the, the, the town and uh, find another way to get back on on the other side. You can't go through the tunnel there, which is very annoying because it sort of spoils the uh, romanticism of it. But once you do get on the other side and carry on, you're not too far from Camden. Mm-hmm. So obviously you've got to go and have a beverage in Camden Lock. I would say that from there you can carry on and you go through London Zoo, right through London Zoo. Um, it was originally intended to go through Regent's Park, but the um, the people who were paying for the construction thought that the posh people who walked through Regent's Park wouldn't want to see navvies working on the canals. So they shifted it, and that's why it goes through London Zoo, through the aviary instead. So I would say you go on to London Zoo, you end up in Little Venice, 
um, which has a, a bar called Café La Ville, which is a bridge over the canal. That's a lovely kind of place to uh, end it, I think, if you don't want to go straight on to Paddington. The I reason I say you would nice. go on to there, but you probably wouldn't, is because, of course, when you get to Camden, you're just going to go to Parezzo and stop there, aren't you? <sighs> Why did you have to say it? I hadn't <laughs> thought of it for like a good three hours. <laughs> I don't think, I think wherever you go, Camden has so many incredible places to eat. You should probably just stop in Camden rather than carry on drinking and just feed yourself once you get there. Oh God, I need a pretzel so bad. (laughs) (laughs) So um, that whole stretch, I think is, it's it's well over 10 kilometers, I think it's more like 12 kilometers or something. Mm -hmm. So you can do a hot, I normally spend a whole day doing yeah. that if it's a nice sunny weekend that's my entire day is just doing that walk and it's wonderful mm-hmm. um related sort of drinks facts of the regent's canal in the 1850s carlo gatti opened an ice warehouse in the building which has now become the london canal museum right next to the canal and it, what he used to do in winter gatti would gather ice from the regent's canal which <laughs> kind of sounds disgusting to us now yes um but also ice that he'd imported from norway uh, and people wouldn't like put it in their drinks, but they'd use it to keep food cold and fresh because it was uh, before fridges were invented. How so, mental is the thought of importing ice now? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> it's really crazy to us. But yeah, because they didn't have refrigeration, so they would have ice yeah. houses and they would put ice in there and it would last in the ice houses because it was, you know, probably underground or undermanned or something. Keep all their food fresh. Um, Gatti was also the guy who popularised the eating of ice cream among victorians so he was uh he contributed to ice cream and, and chilled beverages go gatti what a guy from the regent's canal still freaks me out a mm-hmm. bit though yeah <laughs> <laughs> all right that's that's me done on uh, the regent's canal well good segue because you were talking about how that's more of a a long route a long pub crawl that you do mm. i actually looked into the longest pub crawl in the world um, would you like to hazard a guess as to how many pubs? It's a bit mean because I'm giving you zero context. Sure. How many <laughs> pubs? So not distance, okay. but how many I'll pubs? Give you, I'll give you a cu- couple of bits of information between guesses, but I just want a, a straight up how many pubs in the long okay. pub call. Well, here's the thing. So even for something like the Monopoly one, which is 26, I think it's mm-hmm. kind of ridiculous to expect that people would actually have an alcoholic beverage in every stop. So I think to call yourself a pub crawl, it doesn't necessarily mean that people have to have completed it successfully. So yeah. it really could be any number. And I'm guessing someone has taken pleasure in drawing a map of all the pubs you could go to in a single city. So I'm going to guess the number 3,000. Okay. I'm going to give you another snippet of information. Okay. If you were to complete this pub crawl, it would take three years... <laughs> right so is this around the world pub crawl maybe it's not okay i'm going to give you another piece of information it's based in the uk well i guess is it all i wonder if it's like um that would be lovely coastal pub crawl you have to go all around the coast of the uk like (laughs) that documentary that that scottish man did he looks a bit like a viking except with more booze Still haven't said how many pubs, though. Oh, right, yeah. <laughs> um, 10,000. Okay. 
I'm going to put you out of your misery. It's 24,727 pubs. So it was devised by a team of mathematicians at the Uni of Waterloo in Canada. Um, and so it basically takes in the majority of the pubs in the UK. Uh, it spans 28,270 miles. Um, the longest distance between one of the pubs uh, and the other is 270 miles, but that takes into account a ferry trip as well. But they have worked it out to be, on average, one stop an hour. Um, and they came up with a three-year uh, timeline that was based on having one pint in each, which obviously you wouldn't because you'd die. <laughs> but yeah, based on visiting 24,727 pubs across 28,270 miles with travel and one pint, it was three years. Why, you ask, <laughs> did they do this? I mean, I know why. I said, I said it. Someone was having fun with maps. <laughs> Stretch well, is the very definition of what is a pub crawl. It's like, can I draw a map between pubs? Is not the same as can I go and visit all these pubs in one go? <laughs> it it wasn't actually for a bit of fun. It was part of a two year project at the university. <laughs> two years they spent on this. Uh huh. Um, but they said it's not really uh, the project wasn't to like you know optimize a pub crawl opportunity for piss heads. Um, it was done as a means for developing and testing general purpose optimization methods. So um, in their words, they said it's, um, it's an example of a traveling salesman problem whereby you're meant to find the shortest route that passes through each point only once. So that was the task they thought would be a good way of doing that was how can we pass through the whole of the UK with all the pubs in the shortest route and not overlap. Gotcha. Creating the ultimate pub crawl. <laughs> well, see you in three years. <laughs> Bye. <laughs> Bye. <laughs> it's been nice. <laughs> uh, all right, nice. Shall I uh, do the next one? Mm-hmm. Next, I want to talk briefly about SantaCon. Because I feel like it's a pub crawl that a lot of people might have seen on the streets. Mm-hmm. I've seen but it. But not necessarily know its origins. Have you seen it happen? I have seen it, yes, I have. So, in 1974, there was a Danish activist theatre group called Solvognen. 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 <laughs> I don't know how to pronounce David. Danish. I'm going to say Sol. I'm gonna, I mean, I was going to pronounce it like it would be French, but it's clearly not. So I'm going to say Solvognen. Uh, so they gathered dozens of Santas in Copenhagen to hand out items from the shelves of a department store to customers as presents um, before they obviously got arrested because they weren't allowed to do that. <laughs> it wasn't their store. <laughs> so they, they staged it as a street theatre piece by this local prankster group. And the aim was really to make fun of Christmas and rampant consumerism associated with the holiday. Uh, they originally called it Santa Key. I think it's like Anarchy. It looks better written down than it does said, Santa Key. Yeah. And it was influenced by, you know, art movements like surrealism and 
discordianism and that sort of subversive art trends and it wasn't intended to be in any way recurrent it was just like a happening um there was an article about it 20 years later uh in the u.s in 1994 that inspired the cacophony society in san francisco to stage a similar event and then they did it again in 1995 so this is the first time it becomes recurring at that point there's 100 participants two people get arrested and from then it just sort of hops from adding one u.s city to another through the 90s and eventually kind of travels into europe and beyond in the 2000s so in 2013 for example there were 300 cities that santa con was happening in um new york has the largest lost count it was about 30,000 people doing this santa con pub crawl mm-hmm. um but what began as a sort of, uh, you know, activist piece about the consumerism of Christmas has now basically become an absolute blight. It's a really reviled pub crawl from anyone who lives in New York is, you know, the police or the emergency services or the hospitals or something. They all kind of dread the emergence of it. And now local authorities are trying to find ways to sort of discourage it uh, from from happening. It's gone way beyond I have to say I agree. Whenever I've seen it happening, I'm just like, that looks like <laughs> a child's nightmare. I think that's the issue with it. It's imagine a child walking past <laughs> hundreds of like angry, gross Santas. Um, it's not fun for them. So I'm pretty much anti-SantaCon, but I thought <laughs> the origin of it was interesting because I didn't know that. I would like to talk about the film World's End. Because it just doesn't feel right talking about pub crawls without mentioning it. Sure. Um, so obviously, World's End is just one big pub crawl. Uh, based in Newton Haven, which is a fictional town. So I decided to do the research into where are the pubs if Newton Haven doesn't exist? Where are they and can we do the pub crawl? <laughs> um, so, the pubs... Uh, that were used in the film are split between two places, uh, Welwyn, Welwyn Garden City and Letchworth. Um, so Welwyn Garden City saw the first four stops on the World's End pub crawl. Uh, they were all in existing pubs in Welwyn. Uh, they were just renamed for the film. So um, the first stop in uh, World's End is the first post. Uh, that is a pub known as the Pear Tree. Uh, and then the other three pubs that were used in Welwyn were the Cork, the Doctor's Tonic, and the Parkway Bar, which in the film are named the Famous Cock, the Old Familiar, and the Cross Hands. Can um, I just say one thing? They are all still there. Um, yeah. Wellin. Sorry. Wellin. Wellin. Is that how you say it? Yeah. <laughs> I knew if I it was a Welsh a Welsh town name, Welsh... I was mispronouncing. You'd tell me, so uh, I thought I'd just I just just let you know it's yeah. pronounced Wellin. <laughs> I think I say I think I say Wellwin because in Welsh you pronounce W Y N as Win. So Wellwin, Wellin. I just I just didn't want you no. disrespecting my culture, because <laughs> I never disrespect so, the Welsh, so it's culture. only fair. No, of course. <laughs> well in. Um, <laughs> so, 
the four pubs in Wellin, uh, three out of four still stand. One of them has changed their name. I believe it's the pear tree has become the the willow. Another thing I didn't write down because I thought I'd retain it, but I did not. <laughs> uh, the one that's disappeared is, in the film it was the cross hands, but in real life it was the Parkway Bar. Unfortunately, that was turned into a Turkish restaurant in 2019. So if you wanted to do the first three pubs, you could. And it's in Welling Garden City. I was going to say, who doesn't want to do three pubs and then a kebab? I don't, I don't see that as a lose. Let's all exactly. go to the Turkish it's restaurant great. as the fourth stop. I'm sure I'm they've got some sure lovely some FS. Point, in some point in the film. Well, yeah, and they did a lot of shots as well. So you could just do three pints, a lot of shots, and then have a kebab. And that's a good night as far as I'm concerned. Um, but if you wanted to do the other part of the pub crawl, you would have to go to Letchworth. Uh, but this is where it gets tricky, because... It wasn't just pubs that were used for recording World's End in Letchworth. They adapted a lot of different buildings and areas to be the pubs. Um, so, for example, um, the Good Companions is one of the pubs in the film. That was actually just a shop that they'd changed the interior to look like a pub. Uh, the Trusty Servant, um, that was a pub. It was the Three Magnets in Letchworth. The Two-Headed Dog uh, is also a pub, the Colonnade. Uh, the Mermaid, that unfortunately is one you wouldn't be able to do because that was actually the Broadway cinema. Uh, another one that you wouldn't be able to do is the Beehive because that was Thai Garden Restaurant. Uh, Arena Tavern became the King's Head for the film, so you could do that one. Um, the Hole in the Wall. That can't be done. It was actually Letchworth train station was revamped to look like the Hole in the Wall pub. But you could do the namesake World's End pub. That was the Gardener's Arms in Letchworth. So I think if you were a diehard fan and you wanted to give it a bash, I'd probably go to Letchworth and do the Gardener's Arms because it's the World's End. It's the name of the film. And there's a few others there. Um... One other thing I looked into. Do you remember the name of the beer that they drank in World's End? The famous beer? No, I do not. So it was called the Crowning Glory ah. beer. Um, Gary King himself talked about that a lot in the film. And they drank it a lot in the film. And I think it was actually mentioned in the film that the cask was like 14.2%. <laughs> Um, so I wanted to know, is this a thing? It turns out it is a thing. Mm. So you can buy a bottle of Tring Clowning, Crowning Glory. And the fun fact was, Edgar Wright actually decided he wanted a beer made for the film, um, for World's End. So because it was being filmed in Hertfordshire, he found a small um, brewery in the area, went to them and said, look, I want to make this beer for my film. And so they did. And so you can buy it, Crowning Glory. But it's not 14.2%. The bottles are 6.6%. Still pretty strong then. I mean, it's Still it's a no-brainer, isn't it? If you're, a, if you're a brewery and you've been asked to create a brew especially for a film, you're like, yes, please, ka-ching. Shall I, shall I take us to other uh, semi-rural yes. places? All right. Please do. Um, so... 
I said I don't like to travel on a pub crawl. This is my exception. When it's by rail. <laughs> so in the southwest, oh. there's a number of um, trails you can go on. Rail ale trails. It's like five or six of them official. Great scenic railways. And the one that I went on <laughs> is the Tarka Line Rail Ale Trail, <laughs> which you cannot say by the end no, of the night. you did it. Uh, thank you. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> I thought you were like congratulating my pronunciation. I did it because it was when I was at university <laughs> in Exeter. And the trail runs from yeah. Exeter to Barnstable or as I would recommend, vice mm. versa. So you end up at home. Um, so there are <laughs> five stops and ten pubs on the Rail Ale Trail. And if you get all <laughs> ten... If you go to all ten pubs and get um, your pre-printed sheet stamped, you can send off to Great Scenic Railways mm. and they'll send you a T-shirt saying that you did the Tarka Line Trail. So there were a lot of Tarka Line Trail t-shirts wandering around Exeter um, from the student population. So nice. five stops, ten pubs. Um, you don't have to do them all in one go, though, <laughs> crucially, because, you know, they probably get into uh, trouble for saying that people should definitely go and do that. But it's so pretty, and it's only, like, ten quid for a rail ticket and you can hop on and off so as long as you're going you know in the one direction you can get off have go to the pub come back again um i heartily recommend that as an option so there's four pubs i think in barnstaple which i think does make it a good place to start mm-hmm. um and then you go on to umberley and then portsmouth arms and on portsmouth arms there's a note which says um, it has very infrequent train service, so you need to check in advance to make sure you don't get stranded there. And also (laughs) that um, the road is extremely dangerous and you should not attempt to walk to or from Umberley because the Portsmouth Arms is in Umberley, but it's a separate station and the road is not good to walk on. So Portsmouth Arms is the undoing of many a person Mm -hmm. by the time they've, uh, you know, got to their sixth pub. (laughs) On to Lapford uh, for another pub. And then finally you get into Exeter and there's three to finish off there. One right next to the station called the Great Western Hotel, which is the only time I ever went in that pub <laughs> in my four years in Exeter was doing that trail. <laughs> uh, the Mill on the X, which is quite a nice, expansive water, like by the river waterside pub. And then the final one is a pub that I have mentioned before on this podcast. Because it's the White Hart Hotel. And that is the old mm-hmm. coaching inn where I told you in the Shakespeare episode that I did my little um, promenade production of Much Ado About Nothing, that we overtook the port, the abandoned porthouse half of the pub. Oh, yeah. So that's actually the last yes. stop on the Tarka Trail line, which is probably where I first discovered it. Do you know why it's called the Tarka Line? You are a fan. I don't, but there's a... F- there's a, I think it must I'm, it might be them it might be what I'm thinking is it Tarka the Otter yeah exactly Yay. that's because it's the setting oh, for Tarka the Otter that film so, messed me up yeah I was gonna say if you read it or seen it um so that for people who don't know it describes the life of an otter 
um, along the, the River Tor and River Torridge, which is in North Devon. So that's why it's called the Tarka Line, because you go through it. Um, apparently Tarka, the, the name is meant to mean wandering as water. And um, it's, it follows the first year and the last year of the otter's life. And it is a very beautiful and moving novel. I think, I think mostly because of how sparse um, the anthropomorphism is. It just describes what the animal is doing, kind of, and I think that makes it it makes it mm. very affecting. It's one of the um, novels, apparently, that really inspired Rachel Carson, who I have also mentioned on a previous uh, podcast. She was the writer of Silent Spring. I mentioned it when I was trying to justify why I said the Wombles were so groundbreaking. <laughs> um, she was a, an early <laughs> environmentalist, essentially the inspiration for Earth Day. Um, yeah, so there you go. I thought I'd mention that one because of Tarka the Otter as well. There is actually a sculpture of Tarka the Otter oh. in Biddeford next to the River Torridge that you can go and pet. <laughs> Back to you. Uh, my last one uh, is one that's on my list. I really, really want to do it. Uh, I've said to friends who often ask me to run marathons with them, there is no way in hell that I am ever going to run a marathon unless it's this one. It's the Marathon du Medoc. Um, so it's a regular marathon, 26.2 miles, in the south of France. So it's near Bordeaux. It's been going since 1984. And um, it's just basically one big wine crawl, essentially. Um, so it's 26.2 miles through vineyards and different little pubs and areas that you can enjoy a little glass of rouge. Um, in total, you'll get 23 glasses of wine. Now, they're not going to be like full glasses, but it's enough that, you know, people get drunk doing this. <laughs> um, so if you go on the website, you can see like there's different packages. You could decide to do two days, three days, four days. Uh, because there's a whole itinerary of events there. Um, you can pay to go the night before because like any athlete, any serious athlete would do, they'll be carb loading the night before a marathon. So they have a big pasta party the night before in a chateau uh, where you just go along and eat a ton of pasta. But they also get quite drunk there as well. <laughs> <laughs> so more often than not, on the day of the marathon, people at the start line are pretty hungover already. Um, but you start quite early um, because it's, as you can imagine, takes a bit longer than the, the regular marathon. On average, takes at least seven hours <laughs> for people to get around. Um, but yeah, there's just lots of stops along the way with wine, but also they'll have live bands um, lots of snacks, lots of people coming out just to kind of give them cheese, ice cream, waffles, bread, sweets, um, oysters. There's like famous um, stops that have become quite well established. There's the oyster stop near the end where you'll have oysters before you finish. Um, but they are quite proud of the fact <laughs> that they are the marathon that has the most medical support in the world. <laughs> I'm not surprised. <laughs> mm. And then the next day, depending on what your package consists of that you've paid for, you can either die in bed of hangover. I imagine my package would be pretty chafed by then. <laughs> it would be pretty done, yeah. 
I'd be going for the stay in bed, leave me alone, maybe bring me some cops package. But some people go sightseeing. (laughs) (laughs) But it's definitely on my list. And because it's been going since 84, I'm thinking I'd like to do it in 2024. Because I think the 30th anniversary would probably be a bit special. But it is famously hard to get uh, a place. It's eight and a half thousand runners and apparently they get snapped up very quickly, those spots. So I do know of a few people who've tried and failed several occasions to get get in on it. But I will try. Sounds stunning. I'll see you at the finish line. Yeah. Because I was going (laughs) to... Part of me was like, I wonder if Tim would do it. And probably wouldn't no. do the marathon, but he'd definitely I meant, come and do the pasta party and yeah, the pasta party. <laughs> I meant I will literally go straight to the finish line and see you there. I'm <laughs> <laughs> yeah. not running. I need to run for. You could walk it. If it takes seven hours, get a taxi. What's wrong with you? Just get, get <laughs> those um, Heelys. <laughs> Heelys. <laughs> exactly. Uh, shall I give you my conclusion? Oh, yes, please. So I did say I'd unearthed two historical pieces. I was racking my brain trying to think, I must I must have an example of a pre-20th century pub crawl that I can bring to the table. And then I suddenly remembered Karl Marx. <laughs> Lad. <laughs> he of the Communist Manifesto. I was like, yes, that was a famous pub crawl. So, Karl Marx, first of all, a bit of background, um, he certainly did have an interest in in drinking, in beer in particular. Um, It was known that he liked to drink the Vienna beer, which was imported and popular in the mid-19th century. And he wrote this account in support of a demonstration in 1855 that had been organised by the Chartists. Um, the Chartists, if you're not familiar with your mid-19th century politics, they were basically the people who were trying to represent the working class, gain rights for the working class. So they organised this demonstration in Hyde Park um, for what had become known as the Beer Bill. And what Marx said about it was, the first measure of religious coercion is the Beer Bill, which shut down all places of public entertainment on Sundays, except between 6 and 10pm. This bill was smuggled through the house at the end of a sparsely attended sitting after the priests had bought the support of the big public house owners of London by guaranteeing them that the license system would continue, that is, that big capital would retain its monopoly. So Marx was here defending the right of working people to enjoy a beer on the one official day of the week that they didn't have to work. <laughs> That's what we have to remember. We're like, oh yeah, maybe maybe reduced hours on Sunday. But it's like, no, these people worked Monday to Saturday and then Sunday they were told they couldn't drink on their one day off. <laughs> nope. So he said, this is absolutely a religious coercion of politics. They shouldn't be put together. He's very right about that. Um he also said that it's classist because the aristocracy, uh, of course, enjoyed their drinks in other places, in private clubs and home, other than pubs, so they could carry on as normal. It didn't affect them at all. Um, Marx was a German refugee, and there were roughly a thousand German refugees at that time in London in the 1850s. And the key social and political centre for them was the Red Lion pub um, at 20 Great Windmill Street in Soho. And that also housed the London branch of the Communist League, which was a a small, but it was international organisation that Marx and Engels 
had written the Communist Manifesto for in that pub. Mm-hmm. So it's quite it's quite famous. Um, it is still a pub, but it's now a B at one cocktail bar, Aww. which. You know, I would if I was the owner of that property and wanting to put a pub in, it would definitely be communist themes. Yeah, <laughs> not be at one, one. <laughs> or at least Marx themed. <laughs> um, so that's a bit of background in that you know pubs for him were the place where he could do all his political thinking, talking, be with people who were similar to him, and also he was a staunch defender that everyone should be able to have a beer. Um, with that in mind. <laughs> I've got a... It is a first-hand account, but it is quite a few years after it happened. Okay. Um, It's by Wilhelm Liebknecht. Um, So it's about 40 years after the event, but he was there, so it's the kind of fairly believable. It's the closest we have. Um, And this describes how one night of um, political thinking in the pub turned into what I have found, at least, as my earliest example of a pub crawl. So I'm going to read you the account. It's quite long, but I think it's good. One evening, Edgar Bauer, acquainted with Marx from their Berlin time and not yet his personal enemy, had come to town from his hermitage in Highgate for the purpose of making a beer trip. The problem was to take something in every saloon between Oxford Street and Hampstead Road. Making something a very difficult task, even by confining yourself to a minimum, considering the enormous number of saloons in that part of the city. (laughs) But we went to work undaunted and managed to reach the end of Tottenham Court Road without accident. (laughs) Already, I think that's gold. Like, let's get as far as Hampstead. They made it to the end of Tottenham Court Road and stuff went down. There, loud singing issued from a public house. We entered and learned that a club of odd fellows were celebrating a festival. We met some of the men belonging to the party and they at once invited us foreigners with truly English hospitality to go with them into one of the rooms. We followed them in the best of spirits and the conversation naturally turned to politics. We had been easily recognised as German fugitives and the Englishmen, good old-fashioned people who wanted to amuse us a little, considered it their duty to revile thoroughly the German princes and the Russian nobles. By Russian, they meant Prussian nobles. Russia and Prussia are frequently confounded in England, and not alone of account of their similarity of name. For a while, everything went smoothly. We had to drink many healths and to bring out and listen to many a toast. Then the unexpected suddenly happened. (laughs) Edgar Bauer, hurt by some chance remark, turned the tables and ridiculed the English snobs. Marx launched an enthusiastic eulogy on German science and music. No other country, he said, would have been capable of producing such masters of music as Beethoven, Mozart, Handel and Haydn. And the Englishmen who had no music were in reality far below the Germans who had been prevented hitherto only by the miserable political and economic conditions from accomplishing any great practical work, but who would yet outclass all other nations. So fluently, I have never heard him speak English. (laughs) For my part, I demonstrated in drastic words that the political conditions in England were not a bit better than in Germany. The only difference being that we Germans knew our public affairs were miserable, while the Englishmen did not know it, whence it were apparent that we surpassed the Englishmen in political intelligence. The brows of our hosts began to cloud, and when Edgar Bauer brought up still heavier guns and began to allude to the English cant, their cant, then a low damned <laughs> foreigners issued from the company, soon followed by louder repetitions. 
Threatening words were spoken, the brains began to be heated, fists were brandished in the air, and we were sensible enough to choose the better part of valour and managed to effect, not wholly without difficulty, a passably dignified retreat. That's not the end. Now we had enough of our beer trip for the time being, and in order to cool our heated blood, we started on a double quick march, until Edgar Bauer stumbled over some paving stones. Hurrah, an idea! And in memory of mad student pranks, he picked up a stone, and clash, clatter, a gas lantern went flying into splinters. Nonsense is contagious. Marx and I did not stay behind, and we broke four or five street lamps. <laughs> it was perhaps two o'clock in the morning, and the streets were deserted in consequence. But the noise nevertheless attracted the attention of a policeman, who with quick resolution gave the signal to his colleagues on the same beat, and immediately counter-signals were given. The position became critical. Happily, we took in the situation at a glance, and happily we knew the locality. We raced ahead, three or four policemen some distance behind us. Marx showed an activity that I should not have attributed to him. <laughs> and after the wild chase had lasted some minutes, we succeeded in turning into a side street and there running through an alley, a backyard between two streets, whence we came behind the policeman who lost the trail. Now we were safe. They did not have our description and we arrived at our homes without further adventures. <laughs> I mean, so, all they needed there was a kebab and it's pretty much same as modern day. <laughs> exactly. Um... <laughs> So if you do want to do the Tottenham Court Road uh, beer crawl, you can. There are only six pubs on Tottenham Court Road by my count at the moment, which is a shame. Mm -hmm. It's probably not going to get you into the state that uh, Marx was in with the many more pubs that would have been on it at the time. Uh, but if you do, please don't throw stones at a uh, lamppost and smash them all up because uh, uh, we don't recommend that. <laughs> but uh, I, I, I love, I, I just love how recognisable all of that is as the stages of the night. Yeah. Especially when you meet a group of people who you don't know and initially you're getting on really well with and then something goes wrong. Yeah. <laughs> We're arguing about classical composers. I love that. <laughs> So there we go. That's that's the only evidence I have for you that pub crawls were a thing before the invention of the name pub crawl. I'm really glad. But I glad. think it's a, it's a pretty good example. Yeah, I'm really glad that it wasn't a dignified affair. Makes me feel okay about myself. <laughs> so our glasses have run dry, which means it's time to crawl to the next drinking hole. Cheers, everybody. You can always hear me sing in this song. Show me the way to go home. Yes, you're round, Tim. My round? Yeah. Oh, God. What do you want? Uh, three Jaeger bombs, please. <laughs> Never buying you a Jaeger bomb. <laughs> Ever. <laughs> <laughs>